Good morning, church. He has risen. Happy Easter. We love you. We're glad that, to be back with you again, even if it's uh, online and not face-to-face. Uh, last week, last Sunday, our King arrived in Jerusalem. It was Palm Sunday. People were, were hollering and screaming cries of joy. Our King from heaven has arrived. On Thursday, our King had his last supper with his best friends, with his disciples, and he would be betrayed by one of them. On Friday, our King willingly climbed onto the cross, took the punishment that we deserve for our sins as he died and was buried. And on Saturday, our King lay dead in the grave. But today, Easter Sunday, our King Jesus arose with our salvation in His hand. Isn't that good news? And that's good news for all who call upon the name of Jesus. Jesus was resurrected from the dead. He is alive today. And He loves us. And He's conquered sin and death and hell for us. That's great news. There's no greater news than that. And we're glad that you're here to celebrate that with us. But did you know Jesus' resurrection is also an offer for you to experience resurrection? Did you know that? Jesus' resurrection makes it possible for you and for me to have a physical resurrection and a spiritual resurrection. And as Bob read earlier, we're going to talk about our brother Lazarus and his physical resurrection from the dead. And we're going to see how Lazarus's resurrection can teach us about our own resurrection in Jesus. There's some similarities there. There's a big difference. And let's, let's dive in and let's talk about it. The first thing, the first way that Lazarus and me are in common. The first thing that we have in common, the first thing that his resurrection can teach me about my resurrection is just like Lazarus, my world is a disaster. Just like Lazarus, my world is a disaster. Think about everything in that long passage that has gone wrong. Think about it. We see sickness. Jesus, Lazarus, the one that you love, is sick. I don't have to tell you, especially right now, how weak and vulnerable our bodies are. The coronavirus, if it's taught us anything, it's taught us that sickness does not respect borders or boundaries. It doesn't respect bank accounts or political positions. It doesn't respect age or race or religion. D did you catch that as we, as we read about Lazarus? Jesus, Lazarus, the one whom you love is sick. Even people Jesus loves get sick. 
Sickness is all around us. Our world is a disaster. We get sick. And we don't only get sick, but our world is a disaster because we will die. Lord, if you had only been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Can you feel the heartbreak in that statement? Can you feel the mixture of, of anger and, and sadness and desperation of, of a sister who is grieving her brother? Our world is broken. Even those Jesus loves die. Even those Jesus loves have family members who die. My three-year-old and my five-year-old are, are just beginning to learn about death. And we, we've been, we're, we're in a section of our Bible studies where we, we talk about what happens after we die. And so for three and five-year-olds, even at that young age, they start to understand the, the weightiness of death. And it's, it's something that we don't like, and it's something that's everywhere. They, I went home one day to hear that they had a new pet. It was a pet worm named Wormy. And I remember they had this pet, they kept it in a bucket, and they tried to feed it and care for it, and uh, sweet little girls as they do. And one day I came home and they said, Daddy, Wormy sure sleeps a lot. I thought, oh, great. And so we had to talk about how bugs die. And bugs die, animals die, plants die, and people die. And... Our world is broken, and one of the evidences of that, and perhaps the biggest evidence of that, is that death is pursuing us all, worms and humans. We see that in Lazarus' story. We see not only death, but we see decay. Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. One of the tragedies of death that maybe we don't think about is that, that a dead body, the evidence that this person lived on the planet, if, if that dead body's in the ground enough, every part of that dead body is going to decay. The dust we were created and to dust we will go. Isn't that tragic? Isn't that a, a, its own little piece of the tragedy of death? That every physical part of me one day will be gone. And decay is not just reserved for death, but we see decay in all other areas of our world. Precious things decay, melt away, break, diminish, are destroyed. There's nothing that's permanent in our world. And this includes people and institutions and homes. And it can even include families and relationships. We all know relationships that have decayed and been broken. And we see in this broken world of Lazarus's and the broken world that I live in, we see confusion. We see 
The disciples are confused. We see Martha is confused. Martha says, Jesus, I know you're the Son of God, and I know that you're coming into the world. You're the Messiah. I know you're going to make things right. I know he, you could heal the sick. I know all these things. And she declares that she believes in Jesus. And then almost in the next breath, she almost scolds Jesus. Jesus, don't open the tomb. He's stinking. He's dying. He, he's dead. He's, his body's decaying. Don't you open that. In the same breath, she shows this confusion. And we feel that, don't we? When bad things happen to us, don't we feel confused? Why does God let this happen to me? Don't we see our world is just swarming with confusion? Our world is confused about ourselves. We're confused about events happening in the world. We're confused about God. Confusion is evidence of a broken world. We see our world is a disaster because it's filled with fear. In John chapter 10, so the chapter before chapter 11, the chapter before Lazarus is raised from the dead, we see Jesus declaring to his religious enemies, to, to the religious leaders, he declares, I am God. So he, tell, he tells them, I am God. And they pick up stones to kill him for that. And and. It's not his time to die, so Jesus escapes that situation. Can you imagine what his disciples are feeling? And these religious leaders, where are they based? In Jerusalem. And so when Jesus hears that Lazarus is sick, dying, and he's going to go to Lazarus and resurrect him from the dead, when he tells his disciples where they are going, did you see what they said? They said, Rabbi... You, these guys just tried to stone you and you're going to go into their neighborhood. They're scared. What, do you, what they really mean is, Jesus, you're going to take me into that neighborhood where these guys just tried to stone you. You feel the fear. We know all too well what fear feels like. We're afraid of the future. We're afraid of what's going to happen next week. Many of us are afraid of how we're going to pay our bills. I mean, our world is filled with fear. It's broken. We see this world is filled with unbelief. We see... The disciples, after Jesus tells them, no, I'm going to go and, and you're going to come with me. And, and they say, well, okay, we're going to go and we're going to die with him. What are they really saying? They're saying the Pharisees are going to overpower Jesus and they're going to kill him. That somehow Jesus isn't in control. So let's go and let's die with Jesus. That's unbelief. Jesus is not going to die a moment before he's ready. We see Martha's unbelief in her her possible rebuke of Jesus for opening the tomb. Jesus, he stinks. Don't be doing that. He's the Messiah. He's God. We see the unbelief of the Jewish crowd that's come to mourn Lazarus. He says, couldn't this, this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man Lazarus from dying? How often do we battle our own unbelief? 
our, our broken hearts hear whispers of unbelief from our enemies. And as the old song says, our hearts are prone to wander. Our world is broken. And our world is broken, evidenced by hopeless grief. When, when a Jewish person dies, um, even the poorest family in the community is expected to, uh, to hire two flute players and at least one professional mourner. How would you like to have that job, right? You get paid to go to funerals and just wail and weep and cry. Kind of lead the people in mourning. How would you like that job? That's depressing. I don't want that. And so what we see in this family that's lost a brother, we see that there's a great crowd that has come from Jerusalem to be with them. And in that crowd, uh, and, and this is a wealthy family, they have, hi- they have surely hired musicians and professional mourners and wailers to come and, and to lead them in this. And, and part of this is very sweet, isn't it? To, to, to get around the community uh, showing sadness for the loss of somebody. But on the other hand, doesn't it feel like hopeless grief? And these funerals often, often these, these mourning uh, time periods, mourning gatherings often lasted for days and days and days. So you are just washed over with mourning. That must feel hopeless. I've been in enough funerals, especially funerals of unbelievers, to know even though we don't have professional mourners, sometimes you can walk in those funerals and you can just feel the hopelessness of some of these families. And that hopeless grief is evidence of a broken world. 1 Thessalonians 4.13 says, believers, we don't have to grieve like that. It says, don't grieve as those who have no hope. And I think as we went through that laundry list of of reasons the world is broken, I think we can add to that, uh, that idea and say, believers, we do not have to grieve or fear or be confused or doubt or decay or be sick and die as like those who have no hope. We don't have to do this. We don't have to grieve like them. We don't have to die like them. We don't have to get sick like them. We don't have to decay like them. We don't have to on and on and on. But we're tempted to, aren't we? We're tempted to. So like Lazarus, we see in his story that the world is broken. But like Lazarus, we have hope. Because Jesus is tearfully furious with our broken world. He is tearfully furious that our life is under all of these weighty, broken aspects of our world. Do you see what, do you see what happens? He comes, and if you're with us last week, this doesn't surprise you because we saw Jesus weep and sob earlier. But Jesus comes in, in verse 36 says, smallest verse in all of Scripture, and one of the most powerful, Jesus wept. He has tremendous compassion for us in our sorrow. And this is the guy that knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. 
And so he's not crying uh, because Lazarus is gone because he knows he's going to raise him from the dead in just a few moments. He is crying because he is so touched. He's so touched. He is so compassionate for the broken heart of these sisters. And you've got to think that he is weeping for countless families who have grieved over the loss of loved ones. And you've got to think that he is weeping in compassion for all humanity because all humanity's deaths can be traced back to sin. And we see the compassion that Jesus has. Jesus weeps with us, but he doesn't worry with us. And that should give us hope that we don't have a Savior who is blind to our sorrows, that who doesn't care how we're feeling. No, he does, and he has impact, and he feels it. But he is tearful, but he is also furious. He's compassionate, and he is also furious. He is furious at the devastation that sin has brought on his universe. He is angry beyond belief. The passage says that he is is sorrowful, and it also says that he is weighty in his soul. That might be what your, what your verse says, what your translation says. But the better translation, they go back to the original Greek and the word there that's used when it talks about Jesus being weighty in his soul. You know what? Let me find it for us. Let me find it for us. This is verse 33. Let me read it to you. When Jesus saw her weeping, And the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. The greatly troubled part there is a Greek word that is also used when describing angry horses that snort. You know that? Like, when horses do that, that's what what they're describing. When horses, when angry horses go, Jesus is sorrowful and he is also intensely furious at this situation. Jesus is furious at the hopelessness that he is seeing in this crowd. He is furious at the unbelief that he has seen. He is furious that fear exists in his universe. He is furious in the confusion that's going to bring on fear. He's furious. At sickness that has taken his friend. He is furious at decay. He is furious at death. These things do not belong in his kingdom. And he he has tremendous and righteous rage against these things. He is compassionate for the hopeless while being furious at hopelessness. Do you see the difference? He is 
compassionate for the sick and furious at sickness. He is compassionate for the dying and he is furious at death. And this is a good thing because we have a Savior whose emotions are tied up with ours and who has promised to make all things right. So we have seen we have seen a broken world that Lazarus has died in and we have seen our king has come and he has, he has compassion for us in our tears and he is furious at the broken nature of the world that has done this to his loved ones. And we see that Jesus has stepped into this situation. He has stepped in and encountered the death of this man and he is going to reverse it. And he's going to show that whole crowd and he's going to show you and he's going to show me a taste of what his kingdom will be like. He's going to show us a taste of what resurrection life will look like for his people. And so, like Lazarus, I live in a broken world. Like Lazarus, Jesus is compassionate towards me and furious at all these things that weigh heavily on me. And like Lazarus, Jesus offers me resurrection. For the faithful, just as Jesus raised Lazarus physically from the dead, Jesus will bring you resurrection into eternal life. Isn't that good news? central verse in this whole passage says this. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And we're going to see this in a few chapters. And we celebrate that today, that Jesus died and rose again. And we are to see his resurrection as the prototype for our upcoming resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15 says it this way, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, the first prototype, the prototype for all believers who die. Jesus was raised as the first of many resurrections that will happen. And what will this resurrection life look like? Jesus offers you a resurrection as he raised Lazarus from the dead. What will that resurrection look like? Revelation 21, talking about the end of, of, of our suffering, talking about when Jesus has come again and has taken us into his kingdom. What will that be like? Revelation 21, after he raises you from the dead, Christian, he will wipe away every tear. There will be no more death. There will be no more mourning or crying or pain. There will be no more unbelief. There will be no more sickness. There will be no more death. There will be no more confusion. All of those things we listed before. Jesus is resurrecting us into a new life that will, all of those things will be wiped away. And we get a taste of that in Lazarus. 
He's saying, Christian, look at the power I have. And I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, he will live. Isn't that awesome news? Isn't that awesome news? And for the faithful, for Christians, for believers, he has not just promised a future physical resurrection, but Jesus comes and he brings present spiritual resurrection. For all who believe in him, Jesus resurrects them spiritually from the dead. I am the resurrection, he says. Believe in me. Believing in Jesus is a spiritual resurrection. It changes everything about you, Christian. We are, when we believe in Jesus, he raises spiritually from the dead. We are filled with God, the Holy Spirit, who begin producing in us Christ-like behaviors and attitudes and desires. It changes everything. It is a spiritual revolution in a spiritual resurrection. Well, do I really, I don't feel that bad. I don't feel that bad. Well, we, we were that bad. The Bible says that we were dead in our sins. We were, we stunk as bad as Lazarus. And I love how the King James Version says it. When Jesus tries to open, when Jesus opens a tomb, Martha says in the King James Version, He stinketh. In my sinfulness, I stinketh. I'm so dead, I am stinking. Ephesians says it this way. I love this. Ephesians 2 says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you used to walk, when you conformed to the ways of this world and to the ruler of the power of the air the Spirit who is now alive and at work in the sons of disobedience. All of us also lived among them at one time, fulfilling the cravings and desires of our flesh. And like the rest, as we were dead in our sins and trespasses, like the rest, we were by nature children of wrath. But in His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ. Even when we were dead in our trespasses. It's by grace you have been saved. It's by grace you have been saved. And God has raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Jesus Christ, in order that in the coming ages He might display the surpassing riches of His grace, demonstrated by His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2, we were dead, we were buried, we stunketh in the grave. Our spiritual life was over. And God, in His great mercy, picked us up, raised us, and made us alive in Christ. Christian, you were spiritually dead, and out of God's mercy and grace, He has made you alive. He has resurrected you from the dead, and He, has seated with, he is going to seat you in the heavenly place with Christ forever and show you the mercy and the kindness of his riches forever in Christ. That's good news. So, so, 
we will be Christian physically raised from the dead. We have been spiritually raised from the dead. And our physical resurrection depends on our spiritual resurrection. Being right with God through faith in Jesus Christ and His substitutionary death on the cross raises us spiritually from the dead. So our future is a physical resurrection to be with Christ forever. Now, these are the similar things about us and Lazarus. Our broken world. Christ is compassionately furious with our broken world on our behalf. That he is offered to raise us physically from the dead and spiritually from the dead. What's different? Here's the difference. Lazarus got an appetizer. Jesus offers you the main course. When we say Lazarus was resurrected, that's, that's not technically right. Lazarus was, wasn't resurrected, he was resuscitated. Miraculously, he was completely dead and buried, could do nothing, but Jesus resuscitated him. Why do we make that distinction? Lazarus is going to die again. So Jesus brought him from the grave to display his power, to show us and give us a taste of what his kingdom's going to be like, that he will resurrect us all from the dead. Give us a taste, but it's just an appetizer. You see, Lazarus was raised. He's going to sin again. He's going to die again. He's going to get sick again. He's going to experience all these bad things that we talked about. He's going to experience sickness and, and death and heartbreak and, and unbelief and, and confusion. He's going to experience all those things again. We see that as Jesus calls him forth, calls him out, Lazarus, come out. He's raised from the dead. That's amazing. And what does he do? He's stumbling around. He has to be helped out of his burial cloth. He can't move. So, as miraculous as this is, and Jesus is displaying His incredible power, it's incomplete. It's just an appetizer. That's not what we're promised. Jesus doesn't promise you a resurrection like Lazarus. He promises you a resurrection like His. He promises you the main course. Our resurrection will be like Jesus. And in Jesus' resurrection, we see the main course. Jesus rose from the dead, never to die again. Jesus rose from the dead to continue never sinning forever. Jesus rose from the dead, never to experience pain again. Jesus rose from the dead, never to experience sickness again. And that is the resurrection that you, Christian, and I will experience. That's the main course. Jesus was raised. And while Lazarus was raised and the cloth was around him and somebody had to come and help him, when Jesus was raised, we see into the tomb and Scripture says that his burial cloth was folded nicely and put in the corner. No one had to help Jesus. Because it was done. It was the main course. It was full. It was complete. And that's what we're promised. Jesus offers us the main course. 
And now the question that we'll end with, how can we partake in this main course? How can we be resurrected spiritually and physically? There's only one way to partake in the main course, and that is to have a relationship with the chef. Resurrection is not like going through the fast food lane at McDonald's. Resurrection is like your grandma's Thanksgiving dinner. Anyone could go through the fast food lane. And what you get, not that great. Grandma's Thanksgiving dinner is reserved just for those who have a special relationship with grandma. And that's the resurrection. Jesus says, listen to how he says it, I am the resurrection. He doesn't say, I'll bring you the resurrection. He doesn't say, I'll show you where to go to get the resurrection. He says, I am the resurrection. Meaning, you find all you're looking for in a relationship with me. Martha comes and, and she tells, you know, she's, she's grieving and, and she tells Jesus many true things about him. She says, you're the Messiah. You're the Son of God. You could heal this man. She has, she has much head knowledge about Jesus. And what does he say? He directs her and says, well, believe in me. Have a relationship with me. Know me. That's the resurrection and that's the life. My friends, Jesus is the point. Getting Jesus is the point. Being with Jesus is the point. The point isn't heaven. Heaven is heaven because Jesus is there and we want Jesus. He's the resurrection. He's the life. He is heaven. He's heaven. My friends, do not fall in love with the things Jesus will bring you. Fall in love with Jesus. That's the resurrection. That's the life. That's the main course. To be resurrected is to have an intimate relationship with Jesus. To have salvation is to have an intimate relationship relationship with Jesus. He's the goal. He's the prize. We are called to value Him so much that we want Him even more than the things that He brings us. I am the resurrection. I am the life. Those who believe in me will live even though He dies. And my friends, Christians, nothing on earth or in heaven will stop Jesus from resurrecting you if you believe in him. Jesus, see how he does this? He calls Lazarus. Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus comes. Every molecule in his body comes and obeys. That's how Jesus does it. Jesus doesn't have to give CPR. He doesn't have to perform surgery. He doesn't have to do any of that. Lazarus is raised just by Jesus' words. That is power. 
And I love, I love, I love what the traditional church has taught about this. That Jesus had to specify Lazarus come out. He had to specify Lazarus because if he just said come out, every tomb on the planet would give up their dead. And someday they will. And are you ready when Jesus calls for you to come out? Jesus tells us in John 5, 29, He tells us that everyone will be resurrected, some for eternal punishment in hell, some for eternal life in heaven. He says this, Do not be amazed at this, for the hour is coming when all who are in their graves will hear His voice and come out. Those who have done good, those who have faith in Jesus to resurrection of life, and those who have done evil and have rejected Jesus to the resurrection of judgment. Someday your name will be called. Are you ready? Do you believe? Do you have a relationship with the chef? Do you have a relationship with the Savior of the world? I hope and I pray that if you don't, wherever you are, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, if you don't trust Him, if you don't believe in who He is and what He has done for you on the cross, taking your punishment, offering you new life in the resurrection, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, my prayer is that you have seen in God's Word that He offers that to all, and all who call upon His name will be saved. I'm so glad you spent this Easter morning with us. We love you, and I can't wait to see you.